This morning we are going to continue off from last week as kind of a second uh, part to the message. Um, I actually, I realized I didn't say what the title was last week, but the title for last week's message, in case you have a notebook, um, was The Promise of Redemption. And this week we're going to be talking about the goal of redemption. And um, I was thinking about goals and different goals that, that people have in their lives. And um, one huge goal that people do is the Olympics. And I don't know if you've been watching that. I enjoy watching various events in it. Um, but all of these athletes have been preparing every single day for years with the one goal in mind that they would be able to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. That's what they're there for. There's, I know there's other events that happen in the off years between the Olympics, but the Olympics is kind of the big, the big stage, the stage where people who normally don't watch um, these different sports are watching. So these athletes, they have this goal. They're training for this goal to win a gold medal in the Olympics. But what is the goal of redemption? Why? What is the purpose of it? And that's what we're going to look at today. So just as a reminder for those who were here last week, and if you weren't here last week, just so that you can get on the same page, I'm just going to give a brief review of what we talked about. So last week, we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we quickly made our way through the first two chapters, and eventually arrived at chapter 3. Um, And more specifically, we looked at chapter 3, verse 15, and the promise that is given to Adam and the woman. And so that verse says, um, the second part of it that we looked at is, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, or, or crush his heel. Sorry, he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And as we looked at that, we were told and explained how um, Adam, and Eve, or Adam and the woman were given a promise of redemption, that they were going to be redeemed. And this was going to be two parts. First, the bruising of the heel, which refers to Jesus' death on the cross and how he brought redemption for us by being a substitutionary sacrifice and taking the punishment for our sins, as, as Dan talked about this morning in communion. And secondly, by the crushing of the head of Satan, which refers to Jesus' resurrection where he defeated Satan. Satan tried his best, putting forth his best effort, killing Jesus, but Jesus was stronger and defeated Satan through his resurrection and will have a final defeat to come. And in light of that, we saw how Adam believed what God had promised and ended up changing the name of the woman to Eve, meaning mother of all the living. And we applied this by saying that we too should believe in the promise of redemption. So with these things in mind, uh, we're going to continue today by looking at the goal of redemption. And to do that, we're going to have, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, or Genesis chapter 2 and 3, look at the beginning, where we were before, pull out seven main points, and then we're going to go to Romans 16, and we're going to see how those seven points connect with the point in Genesis. So let's begin. So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we talked about how the creation, the creation of the world and how it happens. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 explain. 
And when we look specifically at the second chapter of Genesis, it's really an in-depth view of day six, which is the creation of Adam and the woman. And in uh, Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So the first step, point one, is creation. So man is created. Um, woman and uh, or Eve is not made yet. Just This is the creation of man, but humankind is created. That's, that's the first point. He is then given instruction. Doctrine is taught, point two. And we see that in Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. And there it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, uh, the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For, the, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Adam is given clear and specific instruction while he's in this garden. He is told that he is allowed to eat anything he wants. There's trees everywhere. There's different plants. There's fruit. Lots of food. Uh, not animals, but lots of food that, is, that grows on, on different um, plants. And he can eat whatever he wants. But the one rule is that he cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he is told that the day that he eats of it, he will die. That is the promise. And the only rule, that's the doctrine that God teaches him. And then right after this, we have the creation of woman. The third point is the deceiver coming. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And we see quickly um, that the serpent comes and talks to the woman. And as we looked at last week, the serpent is Satan himself. So this is Satan disguised as a serpent coming to talk to the woman. The serpent is a deceiver, and he has come to question the commands and doctrine that they have been taught. And we see that right away, and let's, let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat uh, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan comes, and he takes the very doctrine that he told Adam, and he comes in and he twists it. And we see it right away. And he questions it. In verse 1, he, he starts there and he says, Did God actually say? Trying to put this doubt inside of Eve. And it is important to notice that the woman doesn't actually know the command. She doesn't actually know what, what God has said. Because if we remember what Adam was told in chapter 2, verse 16, he is told that he is not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or he'll die. 
And when Eve starts talking, she says that she's not allowed to eat it or touch it. So she doesn't actually know the commands properly. She doesn't know the doctrine. She adds to it. Because God doesn't say anything about touching the fruit. So therefore, the serpent attacks the woman, lying to her to deceive her because she does not know the truth. And point four, deception occurs. After the woman's encounter with the serpent, we are told, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that, it was, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And this is, that was verse 6. So after hearing the argument that the serpent has made, trying to deceive her, using his smooth talk to deceive her, she thinks about it. And she's comparing. What did God say? What does the serpent say? Because they said two completely different things. And only one of them could be telling the truth. It seemed like God had lied. From the outside, looking at the fruit, it looked good. In fact, it says it was a delight to the eyes. And it was desired to make one wise. And God said that this fruit was bad. But based on what the woman knew and based on what she could see when she looked at the fruit, the fruit looked amazing. And it seemed as if Satan was telling the truth and God was lying. And we're told that the woman eats it and then gives the fruit to Adam and he is deceived as well and he eats it. And at this point, deception occurs. What's the result? Well, although the serpent had told a lot of lies, he did mix it in with truth, as he often does. And in Genesis 3, verse 5, when he was, he was speaking with Eve, he said that, um, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was true. As a result of eating the fruit, they were able to, to distinguish good and evil. And the expression that the serpent uses is their eyes were opened before they were blind to what is good. They did not know it, but by eating the fruit, their eyes were opened and now they knew it and were intimate with evil. And that happens and we see that right after, um, in verse six it says they eat the fruit and verse seven it says, right after they eat it, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. As a result, Adam and the woman are now able to distinguish good and evil. Not just that, but they're acquainted with evil. And we see that the first thing they realize is they are naked and they cover themselves. Things have changed as a result of eating the fruit. As we continue down through chapter 3, there's then a dialogue between God and Adam, and then God and the woman, and we eventually get to chapter 3, verses 14 to, 20, to 19, where we see the curses. And that is where, verse 15, we looked at specifically last week. The promise of redemption, that Jesus is going to come and defeat, and I mean really destroy Satan. The seventh point, the tree of life. 
And this is really interesting to notice. Um, when Adam and Eve, then uh, the curses are said, Adam changes Eve's name, or the woman's name to Eve, and they're clothed, and then they're kicked out of the garden. But why? And the answer to that is found in Genesis three twenty-two to 24. And it says, and I would just listen to this and, and try and see if you could notice why they're kicked out of the garden. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So we're told here that they are kicked out so that they cannot get to this tree of life. But what is this? We don't know much about the tree of life. Not much is said, but there are a few things we do know. First of all, it is a different tree than the tree of the knowledge and good of evil. If you were to look back in Genesis 2, verse 9, uh, when God is talking about creating the plants, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So that's the first kind of tree. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. That's a second. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there's three types of trees. There's normal trees, the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And really the verse that we just read, verse 22, testifies to that as well because it says, um, and take also. So this is a separate tree from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it also says in chapter 3, verse 22, that by eating this fruit, you will live forever. It's kind of cool to note and notice this wonderful tree that Adam and Eve were supposed to eat. This was a good tree that was placed in the garden for them. It was made for them, but because of their sin, because they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they never got a chance to eat it. To eat it. They were kicked out of the garden. So let's recap these seven points. First is creation, the making of Adam and Eve. Then they're taught doctrine. The deceiver comes, point three. Point four, deception occurs. Point five, they distinguish good and evil. Point six, there's a promise of the destruction of Satan. And point seven, they miss out on the tree of life. If you have your Bibles and you're using them, turn to Romans now, and let's look at Romans chapter 16. Specifically, we're going to look at verses 17 to 20. The book of Romans um, was written by Paul to the church in Rome, and an overarching theme throughout the whole book is the righteousness of God. And Paul, up to this point, has shown how the righteous God has brought salvation for the people. So in light of that, he's going to try and bring us back 
to the garden. There's a lot of imagery here, a lot of words that are repeated in topics, and I want you to try and pick those up as we read verses 17 to 20. And it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So as I said, there's going to be there's some words there that seem very familiar with what we saw in Genesis. So here, Paul is telling the church in Rome that in light of everything he's told them in his book before this about salvation, about how they can be saved, they need to look back to the beginning, to Genesis, and see what, how, what they need to have done differently. Let's compare now Genesis chapter 1 to 3 with, with this passage. So before we saw creation. Now we have new creation. And as I said before, Paul outlined how salvation was accomplished in the book of Romans. And in another one of his letters to the church in Corinth, um, he's talking and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. So God created Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the start. Now, because of salvation, just like it was promised to Adam and Eve, we are to become a new creation. We're restarting, going back to where Adam and Eve were. And if we consider that that's the place we're at when we are saved, then what do we need to do to make sure that we are not deceived the same way that Adam and Eve were? Because if we think about it, Adam and Eve, Eve is standing there and she sees this wonderful fruit, this wonderful fruit, delight to the eyes. We would have sinned as well. We would have done it. We can't, we can't say that we wouldn't have. So creation and new creation. Adam is taught doctrine and Paul tells that they have, as Christians, we've been taught doctrine as well. Specifically talking about the church in Rome, in Romans sixteen seventeen, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So they have been taught doctrine already. Paul's assuming that. And really it's true because the, the whole letter leading up to this has just been teaching them doctrine. So he is establishing that what he has written to them, what is found in Scripture, is sound doctrine. He then warns them in that same verse that deception is coming. So deception comes for Adam and Eve with the serpent, and for us deception is coming. And it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught avoid them. Paul tells them that people are going to come 
and teach different things than are found in Scripture. And that is true today. Just like the serpent came and taught different teachings than what God taught, weaving truth into it, but manipulating it for his own benefit, people are going to come today and do the same thing. This is the same old trick. Satan doesn't have a new one. He's still using the same old one. And Paul says that what we need to do is avoid them. But more than that, we see what we need to do in the, in the next verse. And the fourth point was deception occurs. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They believed and they were deceived. And Paul warns that those that are naive will be deceived. Paul continues by telling them how this, um, how this is going to happen. And it says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They do not serve the Lord, they serve themselves. That's why they manipulate the word, for their own benefit. Doesn't that sound familiar? For me, when I think of this idea of smooth talk and flattery, that just brings me, that brings me back to the Garden of Eden and to Eve. And the idea of smooth talk it really, it really goes with the serpent when we think about like the slithering serpent and all that. Just like the smooth little serpent who comes and deceives. And that's really an imagery that's in a lot of like books and movies as well. This, the sneaky serpent. The deceiving serpent. And Paul warns for people who are like that. Telling them that if you are naive, if you do not know the truth, then you will be deceived. Those who do not know the doctrines of the Bible, those who do not know the teaching of Scripture, will be deceived just like Adam and Eve will. That's his warning. So what must we do? What's going to be different then if we are not deceived like Adam and Eve were? Well, Adam and Eve, after they ate the fruit, they knew good and evil. They could distinguish the two apart. They, they were acquainted with evil. They didn't know evil before. But in Romans sixteen nineteen, it says, For your obedience is known to all, so that, I want you, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate the fruit with the promise that they would be able to distinguish good and evil. And they could. And Paul is saying that as the new creation, going back to that, that we should no longer desire to be knowing good and evil. Instead, we should only know what is good. We shouldn't know what is evil. We should turn from evil things and pray that we would be innocent to them, that we would not know evil. We would not be acquainted with it. That's what we need to do. And it finishes, Paul finishes this section by looking at how in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Just as Adam and Eve were promised that the destruction of Satan would soon be coming, Paul says the same thing. Now though, instead of Christ being the sole defeater of Satan by himself, we are joint heirs and together as God's people, we will crush Satan because of what Christ has done. 
And it says in, in Romans 8, 16, 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. We are going to be joined together with Christ and glorified in the defeat of Satan. This final destruction of Satan is coming, and it's coming sooner and sooner every day. Turn with me now to the book of Revelation, and let's look at this final destruction. Revelation chapter 20. And specifically, verses 7 to 10. And it says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. So he's still going to keep deceiving. Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the the broad plains of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had, him, who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. The defeat of Satan is coming. This is the thing that Adam was promised. And Paul again gives this promise. And this is going to happen very shortly. So what about the seventh point, the tree of life? How does that come in? If you're to flip over to chapter 22 in Revelation, there's a couple passages here which are really cool. 22 verse 2 says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And in verse 14 it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by its gates. Those who are saved are going to get to eat this tree of life. The privilege that was denied to Adam and Eve originally in the garden is going to be available for all of us who have salvation. And we're all going to get to have this tree of life and live forever. So let's review these these seven points. So there's creation. Adam and Eve are created. That relates to our new creation. Adam is taught doctrine. The scriptures and Paul is showing that this teaches doctrine. The deceiver comes to Adam and Eve. And there are deceivers that are coming. Deception occurred with Adam and Eve. And Paul warns that the naive will be deceived. Adam and Eve were then able to distinguish good and evil. Paul tells us to be wise to good and innocent to evil. Opposite of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are promised that destruction is coming through and redemption we are promised that the destruction of Satan is coming as well. The big difference, point seven, they missed out on the tree of life. We will partake in the tree of life. 
So what does that mean for us today? How do we make sure that we follow Paul's path to the end? The path that should have happened in the beginning and not follow the same line of Adam and Eve. The first thing we need to do is make sure that we know the truth. We cannot be naive to the truth. We cannot, we cannot not know the truth. For us today here in Woodstock in 2016, if we want to know the, tr- the truth, we must read scripture. That is the only way we can know the truth. And that is what all truth needs to be based off of. Scripture alone needs to be our source for truth. We cannot simply just read it, though. We must agree with, with David in Psalms 1-1 when he says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We need to meditate on the word of God so that we know it. Because if we do not know this word, if we do not know the truth, then we will be deceived. If we do know this, it won't happen. And Ephesians 4 talks about this as well when it says, and this should be our prayer, that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We need That needs to be our prayer. That this false teaching comes and we don't even believe it because we know the truth. That is the only way we are going to be safe from the schemes of the devil. And we are going to fail sometimes, but God is very gracious and has brought us redemption to bring us back. Secondly, let us hold fast to the promise that soon we too will get to eat of the tree of life. What a privilege that's going to be. God created this tree for Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were supposed to enjoy it and experience it. It was made specifically for them, and they never got to because of their sin. But God has redeemed us, just as he promised Adam and Eve, so that we can partake in the privilege that they've missed out on. So let us praise the Lord because he is going to fulfill the promise that Adam and Eve were given. And we are going to be redeemed and brought back to the place that we were supposed to be. To the place where we are with God, in communion with him, and we have full access to him as well as this tree of life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your redemption. And we thank you that it had a specific purpose, Lord, to bring us back to before the fall, to bring us back to a place where we can have perfect communion with you, full access to you, and we can enjoy the good gifts that you give. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us as we study the truth that, Lord, We would be able to get into your word, meditate on it day and night, that we would trust what it says. Lord, allow us not to be deceived by the schemes of the devil, but to hold fast to sound doctrine, to hold fast to the truth, to your word. Let it be in our hearts, let it be in our minds, and let us be thinking about it constantly.
Lord, thank you so much for what you've done, bringing us back just as you promised Adam and Eve. You are such a good God, and you are faithful to do all that you say. I pray these things and praise you in your name. Amen.